And hello all. Thank you for joining us. It is a Wednesday as we do this show live on the West Coast, the best coast. But we love our brothers and sisters wherever you are in America or across the world. What a show we have for you. Pretty cool. Uh, Kim is here, of course, which is really always Kim, good news. And uh, Albert, the commissioner of sports, is Albert. Thank you. Is here, and we will ask him to comment on a pending sports contest. I just pulled myself down here a little bit, Albert. I had a hot level. See that hot level? Now I'm pulling myself down. Yeah, I turned you down on. Uh, now you can turn me thing. back up because I pulled myself down. Yeah, I pulled you right back to where you were. I um. I don't want to get a big thing. I had to turn the level up for a voiceover I was doing, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, now it's now it's right. This is the real work of, uh, of the day. Uh, John Rothman joins us, bottom of this hour. I want to talk to him about immigration and a new poll uh, related to Californians and immigration. It's It'll shed some light on the immigration issue. Also, Donald Trump coming off the big Iowa victory actually has some heavy lifting to do. We'll talk about that as well. Yes, I'll uh, have Albert comment on the Niners who are playing this weekend. We'll see if the commissioner is at all concerned about the hot, red hot Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers. I've got a story from the sky that features Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm. among other stories. Alec Baldwin. What? Yes. Begging is Alec Baldwin for someone to help sell his home. That's again. What? I know. It's true. Sergeant from the SFPD, Adam Plantinga is going to be with us. He is the author of a new book called The Ascent. And he is a fascinating guy. I was just reading about him. And this is one of these fast-paced, pulse-pounding debut thrillers. You know, <laughs> it's an action-packed, cinema-ready adventure. So we'll talk to him. He joins us beginning of the second hour. And uh, there's a lot in between. So we've got stories from the sky that feature Schwarzenegger. Got a little Alec Baldwin, Trump, immigration, all of these things still to come. By the way, uh, just because I mentioned Trump, and I consider this sort of a small story, so I'll just mention it here. Uh, ABC scrubbing that debate because Nikki Haley <laughs> says she's not going to show up without Trump, and Trump's not going to show up at all. So ABC's like, what are we doing? I mean, so they, they scrubbed it. There will be no debate. I mean, as I've told you before, if you're Trump, you're 40 points ahead of the field. You know, why debate? Why do anything? What's the point? Yeah. yeah. I feel the same way about Biden. Now, if Biden's way ahead and he's the, you know, presumptive nominee, there's no need to debate any other Democrats. You can make a stink about it. You know, independents and third party candidates can make a stink like, Cornell West and RFK Jr., et cetera. And I'm not saying they're not they're, they're wrong even, but I'm just saying from a strategic standpoint, if you're Biden, why why get on stage? I mean, you're the you're the presumptive nominee. So presumptive would be a ding word. Now, uh, Albert, I do want to get to a lot of business we have today. But before I do, 
I want to take a moment to check in with the commissioner's desk on this show on sports. And uh, that does bring you to your official position as the commish. I wonder if you can uh, tell us... uh, by the way, we started as a Bay Area radio show, very popular Bay Area radio show, and a very popular station, and now we've moved to this platform, which is why we touch base on Bay Area sports teams occasionally, and obviously with the 49ers, a very high-profile team. They are in the playoffs with a playoff matchup against the red-hot Green Bay Packers. I ask you, Kamish, are you at all concerned? No concerns here. It's going to be, we're nothing compared to the Cowboys. So I think every facet of the game was better than this team. So it should be, other than the weather, it should be smooth sailing. So I'm just, I, I just worry that it's going to be a little ugly, but hopefully. What is the weather going to do? I, I didn't wasn't aware that that was going to be a factor. I think it's just going to rain. So I, I, it's just a different factor into the game. But like I said, we could run the ball. We don't have to throw. And if Brock Freddie needs to, then he he will. But I think we could. Lead, I I think we should be re- re- uh, leaning on our running game. This is what we have Christian McCaffrey for. So were there any surprises, Commission, in this uh, past weekend's action? Oh yeah, just just the fact that we're playing the Packers. Like I, I was texting <laughs> you that it's it should be a national holiday the day after. Well, it was it was MLK uh, on Monday, but it should be a national holiday every time the Cowboys get eliminated from the playoffs. And, <laughs> That came a lot earlier than expected this year. So, oh, that's very funny. Yeah, the, the, them and then the whole implosion for the Eagles. We all saw it coming, but to see it how it happened, it's just kind of unbelievable. It just if we rewound to like week eight this season, you yeah. you wouldn't see this happening. Yeah, you would have thought no. it was going to be the Cowboys and the uh, Cowboys, Cowboys, the Eagles rather in the Super Bowl. Even the Cowboys, uh, you know, their collapse was epic. Uh, both those collapses were kind of you know, like tragedian, you know, like Greek tragedy kind of all. I mean, these guys who, you know, you're talking about a guy in Dak Prescott and certainly um, uh, Jalen Hurts. They were talking about him as MVP, weren't they, Jalen Hurts? Yeah, the- both, both of them were candidates and both coaches were very safe at that point, And yeah. both coaches could be without a job. And I thought the Cowboys coach, Mike McCarthy, I thought he was going to get fired at halftime <laughs> yeah. on the spot. I wouldn't be surprised yet. He was All right, so this weekend, besides the Niners, what else is there? There's Bills, right? Yeah, the Bills will be playing the Chiefs, which is a classic matchup from the past few years that they've always had like crazy, crazy matchups. And then I think uh, Baltimore, who's I think the other favorite, not named the Niners, will also play against the Texans, a very surprised team. And then the the last matchup is like the how are they making this far? It's the Lions and the and the Buccaneers. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's any way that the Texans could actually upset the Ravens? The Ravens just seem too strong, right? They seem very strong, but Houston had a very good win against a very great defense in Cleveland. But then Cleveland kind of was limping into the playoffs, missing a lot of players on Boy, Cleveland offense just had and another, defense. That was another one. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I don't know. That's an exciting. That C.J. Stroud is exciting to watch too. Anybody who can pass like that, I love to see Stafford pass. I like to see Goff pass. You know, they're just really, they're really gunslingers. You know that way. So um, I feel like it anything be, could it happen. Be exciting. Two two juggernauts playing on Saturday, and then obviously we get the. We'll see a lot a lot more Taylor Swift again for another week. So. <laughs> but that won't be on Peacock this week. That'll be on CBS. So no no more Peacock the rest of the playoffs. Well, the Peacock, uh, just because you've mentioned it, 
And for those who don't know, you don't need to be a football fan to know this, but you know the NFL is the most watched TV show in America. Always top. And the playoffs, of course, bring that to an even higher level, which was, um, this. Kim and I were talking about this last night, another reason that I felt like the debate is just a waste of time. Who cares? No one's watching it. Everybody's watching the NFL. Uh, and... Sure enough, the ratings were extraordinarily high for the NFL and extraordinarily low for the debate. But more to the point, the Peacock broadcast, which was only available streaming on Peacock, there were a lot of complaints about the quality of the video and there were problems with the streaming. It really didn't go well for NBC from what I was reading. Yeah, and it was delayed. So you'd get updates on your phone or just through other avenues. And then you kind of see it after which Albert is so right. It was a, a lot of people don't like that. It was a full minute behind. Now I have YouTube TV and that's about 45 seconds behind. There's nothing you can do about that. So it's frustrating to see. I mean, Peacock, it was really fun. You'd see the score updated on another website. As you say, you'd get an alert and it, it still hasn't shown on Peacock. It was yeah, really crazy. Anyway, uh, yeah, Mr. We, 54 said stream East is an option. That is, um, one of the free streams you could find online, but th- th- those are already delayed, but it's free. So yeah, whole bunch of ads. Right. If it's free, then all the better. Then I'll take not a little delay. Legal, but uh, I'm not condoning it, but I might be you doing using that <laughs> quite often also. <laughs> uh, all right, Commission. Nice job. Thank you. The Mark Thompson Show. There is, uh, I got an email actually this morning. I'd planned to talk to David Katz about this in detail. And, you know, I've touched on this before, the fact that I think while we're focusing on who's president, increasingly in America, control of government is taken by the courts. And the best example of that, I'd say, is some of the SCOTUS cases that we've seen them preside over and also continue to preside over. The Roe case, high profile. But when it comes to regulatory agencies, agencies that are charged with protecting consumers, charged with protecting the environment, charged with protecting the quality of food, like the USDA, these are agencies that have power that is going to be undermined by this Supreme Court. I say is going to be because this court is so incredibly corporate-friendly, it's so incredibly corporate-polluter-friendly, I see it as almost impossible to turn back that agenda. So you can look at what you might see as a Christian theological agenda that's associated with Roe, let's say. I mean, that has been going on for decades, you know, trying to slowly erode Roe and women's reproductive rights. And then they finally got there, right, at the Supreme Court. But the other thing that's going on is an insanely business and corporate-friendly court that is ruling for business, for corporate polluters, and against regulatory agencies that are there to oversee them. And if you don't think it can happen, there's a case right now, and I'll tell you about it in a second, But if you don't think it can happen, here is what has already happened at the Supreme Court level. 
The Supreme Court ruled to restrict the Environmental Protection Agency in setting emission standards for greenhouse gases. In a 6-3 decision, the court sided with the coal industry and 17 states that brought a lawsuit challenging rules put in place by the Obama administration and continued by the Trump administration that limited carbon emissions in each state. The regulations encourage states to meet those limits by using less coal and more alternative energy sources like wind and solar. It was successful in that reduction targets were met 11 years ahead of schedule. But the court said the EPA overstepped its authority. It said the EPA only has the authority to set limits for coal-fired plants and that the agency would need authorization from Congress to implement such transformational rules. The justices were split along conservative and liberal lines, with Chief Justice John Roberts writing the majority opinion. Justice Elena Kagan wrote the dissenting opinion, stating the court has stripped the EPA of the power to respond to the most pressing environmental challenge of our time. For Inside Edition Digital, I'm Mara Montalbano. There you go. Thank you, Inside Edition. I feel as though, and I've been saying this ever since the court started tilting conservative with the aggressive conservative justices being put in place, I've been saying this is the real agenda. I know Roe was a big deal and uh, in, insanely important. But what this Supreme Court agenda looks like beyond Roe is all this. Essentially, dismantling government's ability to regulate water, air, soil, food, consumer protections, there are, I think, many examples of it all going away. So the minute you say that the EPA doesn't have the power to regulate toxins in the air, you end up in a place where, well, then what regulates the toxins in the air? And they say, well, Congress does. So you're going to take an agency filled with scientists and experts who are charged with evaluating these toxins, and you're going to rule that they have no power, and you're going to turn over the question of toxicity in the environment, in air, water, soil, to a bunch of people who don't know anything about chemistry, don't know anything about science, many of them. They are in no position to even evaluate these toxins. It's utterly absurd. And this is happening now. I'm going to talk to David Katz tomorrow about it. He's, if you're just joining us, he's the former federal prosecutor, brilliant legal mind. And he'll decode some of this for us. But this conservative majority seems inclined to overturn or limit the executive agencies and these regulatory agencies charged with environmental protection, healthcare protection, consumer safety, nuclear energy, government benefit programs, they may all go away at the federal level. It seems inconceivable, I know, but didn't the overturn of Roe seem inconceivable? We are rapidly, in my judgment, turning over control of this country and essentially handing the courts control of this country in ways that are 
horribly scary. Even justices, even those well-educated justices, they're not in a position to evaluate toxins in the environment, consumer safety, corporate business regulations. They're not in any position to do that. I mean, you need these. we have these government agencies for a reason. They're populated with people with real expertise. Instead, you're going to rip that power from them and hand it over to Congress. You've seen what Congress is. They, they can't find their butt with both hands. And they can't get anything done anyway. So it'll just, it'll just founder there. Nothing will happen. Meantime, your kids are going to be taking in more toxins. And all of the threats to the environment, to the consumer, they continue and they'll grow. Well, does that mean if the EPA doesn't have a jurisdiction to regulate our environment, then you could say, well, then, okay, then the FDA can't regulate our food. And the the health department or whatever, they have no jurisdiction either. They can't tell us that we need to get vaccinated or they can't. So then no one can do anything. And that's exactly right. No, that's exactly right. You summarized it perfectly. I mean, it seems weird when you say government, what's the point of Oh, let's, yeah. We're thrown into anarchy, and and, and everything's acceptable then. Well, it, I mean, there's still people in charge. I mean, it's not anarchy, in, but in those what? In, I mean, it's they not can't as do though anything. they can't make my life better. They can't do anything for me. No, they can't make your life better. You're right about that. But there, it's not as though all of society is going to melt down. Those regulatory bodies that now are involved with consumer protections, which, by the way, can be tepid anyway. Already, you're not getting, in my view, the stout consumer protections you should have. Yeah. There, I, I think we, we look the other way on, a, on the tonnage of toxins that are being dumped in the oceans, spewed out in the air and into the soil. We already look the other way on that. So it, it, these regulations are, the existing regulations are tepid. They're not really strong already. But yes, those would all go away. Or those would then be put into the courts. Maybe some would survive. Maybe some would be watered down. The idea is that these agencies can still exist. All right. The, the Supreme Court isn't saying they can't exist. They're saying they can be one more opinion about how clean the water should be. And that opinion is then ranked alongside the other opinion from the corporate experts who bring in, and now you're in litigation and you're essentially adjudicating in a court how clean the water should be. This to me is absurd. Let's dump Uh, it into the hands of the non-science believing yahoos. I I just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, It, it doesn't make sense, but it is going to happen. And what's happening now is, is based on, and I'll move on from this, and I'll talk, as I say, with David Katz more about this. But it's based on a case right now before the Supreme Court involving fishermen. I'll just leave it at that. But we'll get into that in a bigger way tomorrow. But I just gave you, and I've told you, I told you this years ago, as they began to replace these members of the Supreme Court, I said, this is a corporate-friendly court. It's not about cultural issues only. It's about corporate business and representing corporations and business in ways that essentially overturn consumer rights and environmental protections. So uh, 
that's what's happening there. We'll watch it, as I say. We'll talk to Katz about it tomorrow. The Mark Thompson Show. I love it. Albert, tell me what we're doing. I've uh, finished my little uh, rant. Mm-hmm. And you are the uh, producer of record, and I'm wondering what you recommend. Albert, thank you. What do you think? Um, d- should I do uh, an x-ray of the... I'll give you some choices, Albert. Then you can offer your own. I love multiple choice, Mark. This is great. The Trump election, uh, you know, Trump won the, that was not, you know, no kidding. He's ahead by, you know, 40 percentage points or whatever it is. He won Iowa, but there are some aspects of that Iowa thing that are interesting within the Trump win. And I can talk to John Rothman about that. Uh, I also see that uh, there's stuff going on in San Francisco, a, um, a key tenant in a big building, high-profile building, may be leaving. The Guinness Book of Records made a huge change. And then, of course, I've got the stories from the sky. These are all things I think I could comfortably get in uh, before Kim's News and John Rothman. You make a yeah, decision, I think we should, sir. Uh, let's, let's, let's do the latter. Let's save the Trump stuff maybe for Rothman. And then okay. just round out the rest of those stories. Okay, so you want to do... Uh, Stories from the sky, or you want to do? You want me to uh, do maybe the, the maybe starting from the SF Tower and work our way down? I love it, okay. Albert. Thank you. All right, let's start it from SF Tower, and we're working our way down. Everyone in your hymnals, we're working our way down. The Mark Thompson Show. All right. Um, uh, by the way, uh, smash the like button uh, if you would please. Uh, as a you know, as a show of support, it costs you nothing, and it does help us in the. Smash it with your iron yeah. rod. Thank you very very much. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, noted in San Francisco, you know, excuse me, we're not just um, in the Bay Area, uh, noted for magnificent views, magnificent views of people breaking into your car, <laughs> magnificent views of people shooting up. Uh, there's a punch list of stuff that San Francisco has to get to, but in the magnificence of downtown San Francisco, there are is an office tower, uh, and it's called the KPMG office tower. The KPMG building, really, is what it's called, right? KPMG is a big uh, accounting firm, right? Exactly. That's precisely right. And it's one of the world's four largest accounting firms, Kim. Hmm? They took 90,000 square feet at 55 Second Street. It was a 10-year contract. Second largest office deal of 2003. They have since grown their footprint, as noted in the Chronicle, to take in one-third of the 380,000-square-foot building that is there, the KPMG building. But now, it appears that the firm is considering ending its two-decade-long tenancy inside this building. This consideration, says the Chronicle, comes amid continued turmoil in San Francisco's office market, which is causing the city's office rents, they were the highest in the nation not too long ago, to drop, right? Uh, You can get a deal in San Francisco on office space now. You could not have gotten that deal a couple of years ago. Because what is it, like a 30% vacancy rate? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just that. So KPMG's lease for its office inside the Second Street Tower, which is about 125,000 square feet across eight floors, 
According to the real estate information firm CoStar, it's set to expire at the end of this year, and already its space is being marketed as available. Uh KPMG has been mum on this, but they've cut nearly 2,700 U.S.-based jobs. So KPMG themselves, they're going through a constriction, and they've gone to the hybrid work model. So it's very possible they're not going to need all that office space anymore. This is a big blow to San Francisco office space in the downtown area. So this could complicate uh, a lot of life in the downtown area. And there is a there's money associated with this building. There, there are mortgages associated with this building. There's a future that involves questions around the mortgage. So that's something to watch, but it is a sign of the times. It's also, I'll just say this as an, as an aside, I was reading a piece just this morning about the fact that more and more businesses are facing the fact that there is going to be some kind of hybrid, you got to show up to the office environment. People who work from home exclusively based on the latest data, and you can question the data and we can get into the story in a bigger way, but I was just reading the piece this morning, they are less efficient working exclusively at home. The greatest efficiencies, they say, are found when people mix home and office. Hmm. So- it's not as though off <laughs> Kim would argue with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, but Kim, how are you? That Ch-ch-ch- is, yeah, that is uh, the latest data. So anyway, that's uh, the story on downtown San Francisco. The Mark Thompson Show. Say it ain't so that the Guinness Book of World Records this has suspended. On- what? I just want to go on record yeah. by saying that the minute the Mark Thompson show institutes a hybrid work office policy, I'm out. Yeah. I don't blame you. I mean, my God. Yeah. I mean, I, you I, know, it's uh, the, you're very tough. I know we all, we know how tough you are, Kim. You're, 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 <laughs> I'd say you're one of the toughest people I've ever worked with. Yeah. Wow. That's not yeah. very nice. I no, are a sucker. Yeah. No, I mean, you're very tough. You're just like, you've got to, you know, you, you know what you want and, you're sure. going to stick to it, and somebody calls somebody a name in the chat, you're going to dump them, and well, yeah. no second chances. Proce- Very tough. Standards, protocols, processes, yeah. and standards. That's true. <laughs> we have processes and protocols and standards. The Guinness Thank Book you. of World Records has suspended the title of oldest dog ever. It was held by a Portuguese dog that died last year. The publication said it was reviewing the title after some veterinarians questioned the dog's age. There's never been anything like this. Bobby, a reportedly 31-year-old guard dog. What? <laughs> yeah, that does seem like... <laughs> Come on, man. Lot. 31? Yeah, exactly. Lived on a farm in the village of Conquerios in Portugal. He was announced as the world's oldest living dog and oldest dog ever. He was said to have been born on May 11th, 1992, and he died last October. But these are tough times for that title holder, because even as he's passed away, the Guinness people have taken him on down. While our review is ongoing, we have decided to temporarily pause both the record titles for oldest dog living uh, and oldest dog ever, until all of our findings are in place. 
They received a correspondence, the group says, Guinness says, from some veterinarians questioning the dog's age and took note of public commentary from vets and other professionals. We have processes and protocols and standards. They do. Mm -hmm. Bobby was a purebred, I don't know if you'll know this breed, Rafero de Alentejo. It's a breed that has an average life expectancy of about 10 to 14 years, and the dog lived to 31. Yeah. Mm. Um, in an emailed statement, the dog's guardian defended the title, saying Guinness World Record had spent a year checking the record claim already. He said he has earned no money from the record and hasn't heard from the publication about the latest allegations. So that's the word on that. Good day, sir. <laughs> right. Give me back my... There's a picture of him. Albert, do you see the picture of... Uh... This is the world's oldest dog. There yeah, with I have. The, I'm pulling it up. With right a certificate here. from Guinness. Um, again, it's a purebred, and um, he's a purebred, I guess, Bobby. And there was a party held in Bobby's honor when Bobby was alive. There's Bobby. Oh, he's cute. Yeah, of course. And they're all cute. But 31 yeah, years old? You'd, you'd expect a little more white around the face, I feel like. Oh, wow. Just, Look at you, you Albert. Know, Albert does no dogs. He's got, uh, got a few dogs himself. He's yes. had a lot of dogs in his life. So, um, well, Bobby, we love you, even as you've passed on, and we hope that this all works itself out. I, uh, we do have some skepticism here on the show as to your age, but it doesn't matter. You're alive in our hearts, and you're ageless in our hearts. The Mark Thompson Show. Smash the like button like a boss. You watch it on YouTube. Smash it, Smash with, your it with your iron, iron rod. rod. Damn it. Do it. Do it for yourself. Smash it Do it with for your, your country. Rod. Do it for the future. Smash it Do with it your iron for rod. the people who depend on you. Kim's News and then the great John Rothman. Mark Thompson Show. The Mark Thompson Show. Yeah, on the Mark Thompson show, I'm Kim McAllister. It's it's getting a little testy in the courtroom. The judge in the E. Jean Carroll defamation damages trial against Donald Trump is warning the former president he could be kicked out of the courtroom. You got to go, sir. The uh, the judge responded to a complaint from Carroll's attorney that Trump could be heard saying to his attorney, "This is a con job." Carol testified this morning that Trump's accusations of her being a liar led to threats against her online. So, yeah, the judge is saying, nope, Trump, you've got to shut it or you can get out. Speaking that's a tough that's a tough ask for Trump. It yeah. really is. It really is. That was very inappropriate. Yeah. Um, it's snowy at the airports. The weather is causing more havoc at our nation's airports. This out in Nashville, this picture, according to FlightAware, nearly 1,000 U.S. flights have been canceled. More than 2,800 flights have been delayed. Among the airports affected the most, Buffalo, Niagara International, Chicago Midway, and Portland International as well. What the hell is going on in the United States of America? Um, the White House says... Serious, intensive discussions are taking place for a new hostage deal in the Israel-Hamas war. Medicine is set to be delivered today for Israeli hostages in exchange for additional humanitarian aid for Palestinians. The deal is the first breakthrough since a week-long ceasefire in late November.
There are some new details now being released about that plane crash in Half Moon Bay. Investigators now think there were four people on board when that pilot took off from Hayward. A 27-year-old woman from San Francisco is the only body recovered so far. She was found near the site on Monday after the plane went down the night before. It was discovered upside down, you can see here in the water near Ross Cove. The search for the three others has since been called off. There are uh, was work underway to fix a pretty big sinkhole that opened up in San Francisco. I say that, but then the picture of the sinkhole, you know, I've seen bigger. I'm not impressed as far as sinkholes go. I think we could have had a bigger sinkhole. But wow, you know. Kim, not impressed by that. <laughs> no. Man. This happened uh, last night, and actually, a motorcyclist hit this big hole and uh, crashed. He was taken to the hospital with minor injuries. It's a four by four foot hole. It formed after a water main broke at California and, Mon and Montgomery streets in the city, sending water 10 feet into the air. That's dramatic. The intersection is back open, but the California cable car line is shut down. I had to shut down early and there's still no word if it will be running today. So we'll keep our ears open for that. But they're still making repairs out there at California. That looks like just a normal pothole in Doesn't the it? area. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Like, where's the sinkhole? But maybe they've already done some more filling in of the sinkhole. Oh. Four by four. I've seen some big sinkholes in the city. We have these aging pipes. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, randomly break. And sometimes you'll see half the street buckled in. So... Yeah, Kim is thoroughly unimpressed. Wouldn't even call it a sinkhole. She'd call no. that like a glorified pothole. That is a pothole. I mean, it would be a bummer to hit it, but I'm just, you know, yeah. I, it's it's an unimpressive situation. I think we... <laughs> I'm unimpressed by your <laughs> sinkhole, sir. I mean, if you're going to report on a sinkhole, let's yeah, have give a me a Yeah, hit me with a real sinkage. With a big one, yeah. you know? All right. Well, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I have the story in here about a luxury watch being blamed for Arnold Schwarzenegger being detained at a German airport. Should I put a pin in this story? Uh, yes, I think so. For stories in the sky. Exactly. Well, then I will move on to Detroit Lions fans are so loud and proud. They broke Ford Field's decibel record last weekend. During the super wild card matchup between the Lions and the Los Angeles Rams, it was so loud in Detroit that the volume reached 133.6 decibels. The CDC says that is the equivalent to the sound of a jet engine. Meanwhile, NBC said the game averaged 35.8 million viewers on all platforms, which makes it TV's most watched primetime show since last year's Super Bowl. Yeah, I think the last time the Lions won that uh, Guinness World Record dog was just born. Just being born. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This report is sponsored by Tenuta We're tying Vineyards. it all together. I love that. I like it too. Tenuta Vineyards, uh, you know you get the 10% off. All you have to do is call them and you say, smash it with your iron rod. Or you can smash go out to the winery. Iron rod. You could say it in person too. Whatever sure way you choose, you get your 10% off and you walk away with some great wine from Tenuta Vineyards in Livermore. You just have to call Rich at 925-699-4576. Say smash it with your iron rod and you get your 10% discount. It's good wine. Really good wine. Oh, yes. yes. Bring oh, me the yes. wine. All of it. I'm Kim McAllister <laughs> and this is 
the Mark Thompson Show. The Mark Thompson Show. Yeah, come on, baby. They had to close down an entire radio station to silence him. And now, he's here. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Thompson. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Shadow Stevens. This is the Mark Thompson Show. Give it to yourself. All right. Thank you for being here, everyone. It is a pleasure to have you all in the mix. And I must tell you that uh, there's a lot of ladies and gentlemen. I want to tell, uh, I'll tell you this, and I'll bring in Rothman, who's our magical brother who knows so much about so much. When I hear Shadow say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, I think about the tour that Courtney was. Uh, Courtney and I were on a tour of Vietnam, and so you don't have a native speaker of English. He speaks Vietnamese, of course, a Vietnamese kid, and really cool, really good. But every time he began a statement of any kind, and just imagine this, every time he would say, "Ladies and gentlemen," and "Ladies and gentlemen," <laughs> and then he would begin like it was the greatest. And Courtney and I, to this day, will turn to each other sometimes and say, ladies and gentlemen, and ladies and gentlemen, and then we'll say whatever we, it's just, it was the best. It was the very best. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's get on with it. The Mark Thompson Show. You love him from his podcast. People ask me, I got a couple of emails and I referred people to this man's podcast. It's called Around the Political World with John Rothman. He does it every day. It's 10 minutes and I recommend you subscribe. He is so kind to come here. I think he also appears on Nikki's show. Um, You know, when we put up the bat beam, he'll show up on short notice and his regular slot is now. And we always make him wait, which I feel guilty about, but uh, we'll try to get better as the year progresses. He's the great John Rothman, everyone. Can I just dovetail and say, ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. You ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. I, uh, I adore you, and I want to start you with something that's not related to Donald Trump necessarily. But there was a, some new polling, a statewide poll, that reflects feelings among... Republican voters and Democratic voters about what's happening at the border and the border crisis. It's a UC Berkeley governmental study poll. Uh, LA Times uh, co-sponsored it. And you see how the Republicans sort of close ranks in terms of where they are on the border. And the Democrats, not so much. Uh, I wonder if you could speak to the border crisis as it relates to the politics, which is you're, you're such you're so good at decoding the politics of some of these complex issues and that poll. Uh, for Republicans, this is the major issue. Uh, you can hear it reflected on Fox every single day. In fact, this morning, while CNN was broadcasting about the hostage crisis, uh, the Israelis that are still being held hostage. CNN was focused on the border crisis, rather Fox is focused on the border crisis. What the poll shows to me is there is a concern in the United States about illegal immigration and the fact that things are being flooded, if you will, by people. Uh, Will it be an issue nationally? Yes. Will it be an issue in 2024? Yes. Will it affect the votes here in California? No. And one of the things that the poll showed, and I want to commend Mark Thompson. I had not read the LA Times this morning, and uh, Mark uh, immediately sent it to me for commentary. The most important single thing is that the Republicans 
have no traction for statewide office here in California. So it really is an inconsequential issue. I would also suggest to you, it is a more consequential issue in Southern California than it is in Northern California. Uh, and I think that has to do with the demographics, where people are going and how they're getting here. But there's no question that the immigration issue is going to be at the top of the list. Although it was very interesting to me, listening to all the stuff coming out of Iowa, that immigration was really not an issue there. That is to say, neither Nikki Haley nor Ron DeSantis really addressed the issue of immigration. But it will be a national issue. And remember, the big immigration pushes during the summer. And so come the fall, I think it'll be a major, major issue in the presidential campaign. So just to the point, I think that's so well said. And it's almost like they don't have to sling the border issue around in Iowa. They can wait to sling it around in the general, which is what's going to happen. Correct. And uh, voters who support former President Trump, this is the, the, the poll. We'll just put button it out and then we'll move on. But uh, are conservative or identify as Republicans or nearly unanimous, they're unanimous in saying the border is not secure. Among strongly conservative voters, again, this is how they self-identify, if you will, to use the phrase, 88% say the border is not secure versus 8% who say the border is secure. Now, those are Republicans. If you go to Democrats, liberals and voters who support Biden are more evenly divided on this question. Among California voters who identify as strongly liberal, 54% say the border is secure. 30% say it's not. And then Democrats are also split on the question of whether unauthorized immigrants create a burden for the country. This, I think, really speaks to the issue, John, because as you say, it will be the issue potentially in the general. And whether or not these immigrants create a burden for the country, overall, 42% of registered voters say migrants are a major burden. 42%. 30% say they're a minor burden. And 22% say they are not a burden. The So even in this place, California, where we have an immigration issue, and as you say, it's, a, it's an issue with a capital I, the further south you get, uh, you see the divisions and you see how we, on the one hand, I think, know, even if it's unspoken, that we need immigration. And by the same token, we're concerned about illegal immigration and a flood of illegal immigrants. You've stated it perfectly. Uh, If I were in the Republican Party in California, I would make this a major issue. But the Republican Party in California virtually is defunct. I hate to say it, and many of you will be upset to hear it, but they have no uh, spokesperson on the statewide level. And so I don't see it as a real issue. Uh, The odds are, although one never knows, that in the Senate race here in California, the runoff will be between two Democrats, uh, although there's a chance that the... Could be uh, Garvey. Garvey, you know, his reputation is not as a politician. It's an athlete. Will that be enough to generate it? I don't know. It was enough to get him pretty close, I mean, at least in recent polling, but but you're... you're, And of course, if it's Garvey and Schiff, for example, likely, uh, it would... Then it's a cakewalk for Schiff, right? I mean, it's, and don't it's count out material. Katie Porter. No, Katie no, Porter no, may no. end up as the opponent. The, the, something I oppose here in California is that it's the top two, even if they're from the same political party, and that to me is very concerning. I want a choice, not an echo. Right. Well said. Uh, Delwood asks this, just uh, doubling back. Mark and John, is the border now secure? Yes or no? 
Yes, the border is secure in a broad general sense. When the Republicans say, or when Donald Trump says, that terrorists and murderers and so forth are coming across our border, I don't see that reflected in the statistics. What I see is a great debate that really has to take place over two things, asylum, what is asylum, and number two is deportation. Who was the deporter-in-chief? It wasn't Donald Trump, it was Barack Obama. This is not a new problem, this is a continuing problem, and building a wall won't solve the problem of people wanting to get into the United States. I learned something a long time ago. I was in Mexico in the 1960s, and all the television programs from America were being beamed into uh, Mexico. And I had people say, oh, my dream is to go to America. And I asked why, and they said, well, look, you guys have nice houses, you have food on the table, everybody has a job. We wish we had that in Mexico. So part of it is a, a situation we've created. And the other problem really is the instability in Central and South America. And that is a serious issue. Well, this is the point, and you mentioned it. The asylum laws have broadened to a degree, and you can seek asylum status in this country in ways you might not have been able to seek it in uh, 30 years ago. Uh, there are more uh, threats, violence uh, coming out of these countries to which you've referred. And so you can come to the border of America and you can claim uh, a, you can petition for asylum status and you can claim, hey, I'm fleeing violence. And as I say, the, the rules are broad enough that they allow you to seek that status. But uh, again, we are overwhelmed, I would say, by the number of people who either want asylum status or refugee status of some kind and our ability to process those people. I mean, so it, it, we are, You're I think, absolutely. overrun. You're correct. Yeah. People want to come to the United States. And when you ask people why they want to come, some flee violence. But most of the people that I've talked to, and I talk to an awful lot of people on this subject, say they come here for their children. They want a better life for their children, which they cannot get in their country of origin. So whether it's El Salvador or Guatemala, uh, and by the way, most of these uh, people coming in with asylum are not coming from Mexico. They're coming from the Central and South American countries, primarily to free uh, to uh, be free of the drug cartels who really control a lot of this traffic. So I don't have an answer for it, but I don't see it affecting the 2024 election. Uh, in the sense that the state of California, for instance, is never going to vote for a Republican for president of the United States. Well, I would just say one thing about coming to this country because you want a better life for your children. That's not asylum status. You cannot grant asylum status to people who just want to come to this country because they want a better life for their child. No, but you I mean, can claim that my daughter could be subject to prostitution. Sure. That's how you get it. That's how you get by, it. But by drug cartels. Those are real issues and they're not issues we can solve. They have to be solved in the country of origin. And you may recall that President Biden sent Kamala Harris to meet with the four key nations where this is involved to try to strengthen what's going on, it doesn't work of course because not. this is not nation to nation situation. That was like uh, that was the worst assignment ever. I mean, Kamala Harris is only getting bad assignments. You know, it would be like uh, go solve the homeless problem, solve the immigration problem. Yeah, what other what other in incredibly impossible problems would you like me to work on? Uh, Trump's biggest Iowa gains, John Rothman, are in. Evangelica, uh, evangelical areas in the cities, he didn't do that well. I understand that he had quite the showing, John Rothman, 
but his biggest showings are among those who are evangelical Christian voters and those who are not reflect no, I'm trying to think of the polite way to put this, um, reflect no higher education or a higher income status in their profile, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, the reverse, um, who didn't vote for Trump, people with higher education, people who lived in the cities generally, and people who had higher income. That's just straight up what happened in Iowa, okay? So I know the guy trounced and he did well, but there are instructive aspects to those returns, aren't there? Oh, yes. And the other thing was interesting, I saw a poll this morning saying that 11% of Republican voters in Iowa indicated in a, in a poll that they would not vote for Donald Trump, that they intend to vote for Joe Biden. That's a big problem for the Republican Party. They cannot win the presidency with Trump's base. It has to go beyond that. And let me tell you, on election night, or the caucus result night, what happened was fascinating. Donald Trump didn't give a fiery speech. He stuck out a hand to everybody. He said, I want to be inclusive. He even said nice things about uh, Ron DeSantis, calling him by his name, and Nikki Haley as well. Uh, the Republicans aren't, aren't dumb. They know that Trump has to appeal to his base, but they also know that to win in November, they have to go beyond the Trump base. And so that, that to me, is what's really intriguing. Yes, this is the pivot that Trump already knows he has to make. And as you say, you hear it even in a softening of his rhetoric around reproductive rights for women. I mean, here's a guy who installed Federalist Society chosen justices to overturn Roe. And yet now he's kind of trying to play both ends, that these extreme legislative moves in different states taking away women's reproductive rights in an even more draconian way, they're bad for America. So he's singing out of both sides, isn't he? Right. And what you opened with, the whole story on the Supreme Court and the cases that are coming before the court now, absolutely spot on. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. If, for instance, the power of the EPA or other federal agencies are curbed because of a conservative Republican court, the other factor in terms of issues will be the Supreme Court as an issue in the election. And that, by the way, will also ring when you talk about presidential immunity or when you talk about whether the president, former president, could be eliminated from ballots. Let me tell you, those will be polarizing issues. And the people who support Donald Trump or support the so-called limited government approach, if the Supreme Court does not uphold them, uh, they will turn out in droves. But on the other hand, for other Americans, particularly Democrats, liberals, independents, if in fact the Supreme Court doesn't rule the way most of them believe, they will be mobilized to turn out. So I'm going to suggest to you another major issue in the election may be the United States Supreme Court. Well, I would accept that, but I would say that that which I opened with and essentially completely taking the teeth out of these regulatory agencies, I don't know that that lands with Americans the way Roe did, for example. It doesn't, but it yeah. will. You start talking about clean air, clean water. Uh, you start talking about those issues. In a number of states that are key swing states, it will resonate. And the other question, and I raised this in my podcast, but uh, and I got slammed for it by, by some people, uh, 
the question of whether or not the Trump followers essentially are a cult. Nobody who supports Trump in the way the hardcore MAGA people do ever criticize anything Trump does. I think that's going to be a real obstacle because it means that Trump will not be able to widen his base. And to win the election, he has to. He yeah. lost by 7 million votes. Well, and but you could he could lose by 10 million. I think you pointed it out and still win in this country yep. with this ridiculous electoral college we have. I mean, the uh, the floor for Trump is solid. The ceiling for Trump is low. Now, next so, week when we meet, we will know the New Hampshire results. So this morning, uh, aside from listening to you, which I do avidly, <laughs> uh, I, and everybody should subscribe. Um, yeah. I, I watch the ads that are being produced in New Hampshire by the Trump people, by the DeSantis people, by the Haley people. The most interesting thing is the DeSantis people aren't aren't broadcasting at all. There are no ads for DeSantis in, in New Hampshire. But Nikki Haley and Donald Trump are going at each other, but particularly Donald Trump, who is blasting Nikki Haley. And the talk about negative ads and whether negative ads work, the whole premise of this is a negative ad. And I, I also want to refer to the fact that the issue of race is going to be a critical issue because every time Nikki Haley opens her mouth on the issue of slavery or the question of whether the United States is, is racist, uh, all of these issues, she's now speaking to the voters in South Carolina. Were she to make it into the general election, a lot of these things will come back to haunt her. But the odds are and I'm speaking now as a non-betting individual, but the <laughs> odds are that if the court does not stop Donald Trump or he's not convicted of anything, even if he is convicted, he will be the Republican nominee for president. I listened this morning to the trial that is taking place right now. We all know that Donald Trump sexually abused Carol, and we also know that now comes the sentencing. What intrigued me, and I didn't know this until this morning, that in fact, his comments about pussy, and I can say that because we're not on the radio, but we're just talking among ourselves here on the internet, uh, that's now being entered into evidence. And Donald Trump can't deny what he said, but I talked to a big Trump supporter this morning who said, we don't care. We want Donald Trump to be back in the White House, and no matter what this court finds, we will vote for him. And the other thing uh, we have to understand is, that everything may be nailed down by March 5th. Uh, and so we're really having a very short season here. So can I raise one other issue? I know you have other questions, but- Yes, please go ahead. Who I would think that Donald Trump would take as his vice presidential running mate. Remember, Trump will be in his 80s if he's reelected. Uh, and uh, who is vice president matters. So I'm going to stick my neck way out and tell you I think he will take Elise Stefanik of New York who is the number three Republican in the House of Representatives, who was once a Trump critic, now a Trump supporter. She replaced Liz Cheney uh, as the head of the Republican uh, caucus. And so my, my sense is that with that kind of ticket, uh, Donald Trump would have a vice president he can trust. It would be a woman to counterbalance uh, Kamala Harris. And uh, it would be someone who would not steal the limelight from him. Right. She, he, he's the alpha male. She's a supplicant and clearly comfortable in that but role. But I could be wrong. Just kissing his A. You no, know, I think I, that I makes, heard, makes a lot you know, of sense. Donald Trump floated the name of, of, of uh, well, he's floated several names, of Kerry Lake out of uh, Arizona. Now that's he's what Calvin Wong, who's a shadow producer of this show, is saying. Kerry Lake. 
Not Carol. Yeah, you you'll note that last night, uh, Donald Trump, or no, uh, rather, when the votes came in in Iowa, he acknowledged Carrie Lake, who campaigned in Iowa for him. And the reason she's doing it is she would like to be the vice presidential nominee. Uh, it's just so interesting, however they slice it. They're going to have to get that independent vote, which is why New Hampshire is so interesting because there's so many independent voters there. Um, and in Iowa, just to, to double back and look at the, you know, education, the particularly strong divider between where Trump did best and worst. I mean, the gap in support for Trump was so wide between areas with more or less education, John Rothman. He got 29%. But he carried all but one county in Iowa. Yeah. So, you know, well, getting back to the point, I think there's a real choice for vice president. It's not Tucker Carlson. I think he should tap Mark Thompson. Independent figure, <laughs> fair spoken. Well, uh, well, that would be... Well, a, but you're that, not a Republican. That's, that's true. No, that would be tough. And you're not I, a Trump uh, supporter. And you might steal yeah, a one light. That might, yeah. So I, I think I don't check any of the boxes. Uh, it's Around the Political World with John Rothman. His podcast is every day for 10 minutes. Kim, do you have any questions for the witness before I excuse him? After working with John Rothman for more than 20 years, never in my life have I heard even a swear word, a cuss word come out of his mouth. And today we get the P word from him. I can't there. believe it either. He could have said any I number of the, he could have just said P, but he went for the whole word. The, and I went, just don't even. Listen to me. I don't <laughs> want to hear you. Exactly. I mean, it was very disconcerting. I said it so there would be no misunderstanding. Uh, I see. Is that what um, you were worried about? Part of but you're, you're right. And but uh, next week, we I'll will, I think, <laughs> yeah. next week we'll know the results of the Carroll uh, trial. Yes. We will know the results of the New Hampshire primary. Uh, mm -hmm. We will have a lot going on. And, and may I say, we didn't talk any foreign policy today. Uh, last week, Kim interrogated me about the Hooties. And I just want to say very, <laughs> very clearly that you can pronounce it Hootie or Uthi because I've heard it pronounced both ways. Oh. My friends tell me Hootie is the way, but who knows? I've never heard it pronounced Hootie, but all right. Uh, Neither have maybe. I, but wait, wait. <laughs> Neither Are have you I. Watching you said what's wrong? Oh, it's my time's up. Son of a what's God, wrong with you? First you say the P word. Your words have upset so many people. My words upset so many people. My God, Rothman comes there, stirs the pot, grabs control. What's going on? I mean, would I you like to apologize for using the P word? Before we go, before we leave, John Rothman, I will tell you when Donald Trump apologizes for using that word, <laughs> I will apologize. But I didn't. Uh, I didn't use it. I was quoting him. I see. All right. I stand corrected. Okay. Is that enough of an obfuscation? I think uh, it's a drop. Uh, obfuscation is a thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, Thank you. All. I'll, I'll see you next week. I can't. John wait. Rothman, everybody. He can't wait to curse in your neighborhood. <laughs> so. The Mark Thompson Show. Wow. I mean, I uh, I would never say it. I, I yeah, he was uh, he couldn't wait to get that p word out of his holster. I you know, I, I was looking for the dump button, Mark, just like old times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was. Uh, oh my God! I don't know. I don't know what was going on with I'd him. I'd be willing to bet my lunch that there's alcohol involved. <laughs> I don't think he's. I don't think he's buzzed. I think that was the real Rothman. He's just feeling comfy, so we let it go. Um, so, Albert, you are the producer of this great 
offering. And so you have a fork in the road. I have Kim's news. I'm feeling as though Kim's turbo-sized news should be done bottom of the hour so that we can speak to our guest, who is an SFPD sergeant. Yeah. And is you a don't keep the, the popo waiting. You just gotta... <laughs> Kim, how are you? Do you agree with yeah, that, Albert? Yeah, Albert, I, thank I'm you. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, right. it's almost like when he walks up to the car and says, ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over today? Like, uh-huh. to hold your hand up and go, could you hold on for a second? Let me just finish this text. Okay. No, <laughs> no officer. All right. Oh, so uh, we'll, we'll get immediately to... roll down the window and deal with the situation, right? We'll get a, uh, a, a fine introduction and great conversation going uh, next. Smash the like button like a boss. Ladies Thompson and gentlemen, show. I'm Shadow Stevens. Oh, there he is, Shadow. This is the Mark Thompson Show. Right. Keep it to yourself. All right, very good. The Mark Thompson Show. Put it together for uh, SFPD Sergeant Adam Plantinga. Come on. Hello, sir. Look uh, at you. I- I just like to give uh, props for uh, use of the word popo. I like to see that. <laughs> it was wild that you said popo, Kim. That uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you're amazing. Reading about what you've done, where do you come up with this? Is uh, uh, you know, nonfiction books. And the world of crime and intrigue and thrillers woven into a background that you have. Your new book is called The Ascent. And uh, what it, it's taken off, this book, and I'm just looking at some of the aspects of it. it, it it's one of those, uh, it's a thriller. I guess it kind of feels like one of those. Um, what are the? Who's the guy who uh, has a special set of skills? Kim, who uh, the guy who you know, James you know, Bond, Adam. Who's the guy? Who? What? Who? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. It feels oh, yeah. like a Liam Neeson type adrenaline ride. You know what I mean, Adam? Speak that's to a, me. How did you? High, how did? That's high praise. I think, but I mean, really, that's my sense of it. Tell me how you got into this world from being a an SFPD sergeant. Yeah, so I, I've always, uh, I've been a big fan of thrillers and detective fiction. Um, growing up, I mean, guys like George Pelicanos and early Robert B. Parker, uh, Robert Crace, uh, Harlan Coben, Lee Child, I mean, those are sort of the masters, so... I've always liked that genre um, and I've always been fascinated about stories about tough guys. Uh, <clears throat> so, and I wrote two nonfiction books about police work, um, but I felt like I had sort of said everything I wanted to say about law enforcement, but I still had the Jones for writing. So I thought I'd write a book and my understanding is with the novel, you can just, uh, you know, you can just make it up. So that's what I did. <laughs> Well, but the thing about being a novelist and writing about what you know, in this case, uh, law enforcement, is that it's informed by reality. And so it feels even more intense because it's not a sort of fanciful ride. It's, wow, this is this is the real thing. And this uh, this uh, 
this takes place around a, a Detroit cop, as I'm right, right. This is a this is a Detroit cop who has sort of feels as though he can't let an injustice stand. Yeah, I grew up uh, I grew up in Michigan, so you know I've always been a, a Michigan guy. Followed Detroit sports teams, so um, congratulations I to, then, yeah, to the uh, Lions. Thank you very much. It's yeah. uh, well, it's oh. been a good month for us. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we may never see this again. Uh, <laughs> But I just I loved having a Michigan backdrop and a few shout outs to the uh, to the hometown folks. So and I just figured it'd be a little bit of a departure. I didn't want to make it a San Francisco cop. I thought it'd be sort of too close to life. So, yeah, I mean, so um, this guy, though, this cop in the center of your story, he's got um, he's got some f fighting skills. Right. I mean, he's more than just a, a you know, a, a beat cop or a, a cop that never leaves a squad car. You know, yeah, he uh, he gets out there. He's a former SWAT cop. Um, he is very accomplished at fighting. Uh, he'd be the first to say he's not much of an investigator. So although there is some investigating to do in this book, he more sort of uh, blunders his way through. Um, I mean, there's so many detectives out there already in popular fiction. I wanted to kind of go a different route and just make him sort of straight from the street and just survive on, uh, you know, good instincts and the fact that he's really good at punching people. Well, I mean, it's funny you say that because those guys do attract me also in uh, choosing what genre. I mean, I Reacher would be like an extreme example, I suppose. But um, these these guys who are uh, trying to right a wrong, but sometimes they can't work completely within the boundaries of just the law and the courts and you know their investigations take them into some pretty nasty places so you have to have skills and and your guy does have those skills yeah sort of the sort of the knight errant kind of the wandering uh do-gooder uh, yeah but one of the things i did want to do with the book is although he's for lack of a better word, good at violence. So I also wanted him to be able to use some of his softer skills. So he does some hostage negotiation in there. He does some talking to mentally disturbed people. There's a whole uh, sort of bag of tricks that he's able to draw from, not just hitting everyone he meets. I thought that it was kind of old, <laughs> kind of fast. Why, it's almost as if he has a little flavor of San Francisco. Look at that. You know what I wanted to um, celebrate about what has going on for you lately is your book made this page. This is the people magazine page of the best new books. And there it is the ascent bottom, right. in the people magazine, hot books page. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Look at you, dude. Look at yeah, you. Uh, you know, yeah, you have to kind of squint to see it, but I think I officially made people <laughs> magazine and Hey, I'll take it. Look, maybe next year the cover, but right now let's uh, get into the magazine. Nice job. Well, the, I, the, the, the thing I liked is uh, Kate Middleton is on the cover. So my joke was that uh, Kate and I collaborated on the issue <laughs> and that later we'd release a joint statement thanking everyone for their patronage of the arts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Ascent is a, a jaw-dropping, authentic, and absolutely gripping ride. Harlan Coben said this. He's the number one... New York Times bestselling author of I Will Find You. Your debut thriller being, uh, listen to this, um, uh, Lou Burney, who's the uh, Edgar Award-winning author of November Road, says The Ascent is a nail-biting ride out of hell itself. Wow. It's Dante's Inferno, but with gangs, corruption, bone-breaking brawls, and a kick-ass determined police officer struggling through it all to save another. Come on. 
it's got to be wild to i mean you're really being heralded in all these exciting ways congratulations well i appreciate that um i mean you know people like harlan Coben, lou bernie those some of my some of my writing heroes so the fact that they took the time to check out the book and say some nice things i mean that's i think the writing community as a whole is a very generous one so i've been very grateful for that well you're you know you're beautifully humble but you know kim and i talk a lot about san francisco crime and crime in the bay area and you've been a witness to it for a while now and when you're not writing these uh, great sort of thrill ride books uh you witness a lot and you've seen the city change i presume how long have you been uh with sfpd uh, I've been with SFPD for about 15 years. Uh, prior to that, I was a city of Milwaukee police officer. So uh, when you see the changes in San Francisco, I mean, and, and I don't want you to, you know, I'm not trying to nail you down on anything. I'm just kind of general, sure. some, your general thoughts, because a lot of us just feel like, wow, it's really a bummer. I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I have to worry about where I park my car all the time. It almost doesn't matter where I park my car anyway, because there's just a sense of, uh, honestly, a, a lack of safety and a lawlessness that's now tolerated in ways that really transcend, to be perfectly honest, I think the cops. We ask the cops to do a lot of work, but the reality yeah. is the cops are limited too. So just your sense of how the city's changing. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the <clears throat> uphill battles we're fighting as of late is we are uh, hundreds of cops short, um, which is, I mean, that's not a problem unique to San Francisco. A lot of other cities are uh, experiencing that too. You know, it's just a profession that, especially in the last couple of years, you know, maybe because it's become more high profile or because there's better jobs out there available, uh, people just aren't signing up as much as they used to. So, I mean, on my day-to-day basis, I feel that keenly. Uh, We just don't have quite enough cops to do everything we want to do. But over beyond that, I mean, uh, can you give me an, can you give me an example of that? I, I'm sorry, I, because you, uh, clearly you're right. I read about that. Give me an example when you say I feel it and we see it on a day to day basis. Like, like how? Like you can't get a group of guys to go work that division because there are no group of guys to do it. I mean, guys generically, men and women. Yeah, I mean, if you just take my own district as an example, I work at Mission Station. I mean, we have six sector cars, and there was a time when we could have uh, all those sectors filled plus a street crimes unit, plus a, a two-person footbeat, um, plus a plainclothes car. And now if we can fill four of the six sectors, uh, we're, we feel like we're we're on top of things. Um, wow. So it's, I mean, it's, I think it's frustrating for us. It's frustrating for the folks that we serve because it takes us longer to get to their calls than it should. Um, I mean, I work with a lot of great people. They're doing the best they can under the circumstances, but Hey, if you know anyone that wants to be a cop, send them our way. We could, we could use them. Uh, I, I, I always talk about the fact, like I'd flood the tourist areas with cops, and essentially what you're saying is, you can't, yeah, no kidding. We don't have the cops to flood, uh, so that leaves us in a really tough position. That's happening with law enforcement, as you say, nationwide. That's because law enforcement is now viewed as a a more problematic life for those who are in it. I mean, I think there's been additional scrutiny of late. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Um, but I think people look at the job and say, do I want to do this? Do I want to be on the news? You know, even if I acted in good faith, but step wrongly, um, do I want to get, you know, risk being fired, uh, risk being sued? Um, I mean, I think people are just 
looking in different directions. Kim, uh, did you have something? Sorry, I was. Uh, mm. yeah. Well, I was going to ask a question about, and not necessarily city related, but how you've done work helping other authors kind of bring authenticity to their crime novels or their, mm-hmm. you know, their thrillers. And so just how it felt to jump, and I know you've written other books, but they've been, you know, different. Um, how it felt to to do that for yourself. Yeah, you know, that was, uh, I got to say, that was kind of an unintended benefit of writing my first book, uh, which is called 400 Things Cops Know, um, that crime authors had nice things to say about it, and they said that it helped them sort of write an authentic uh, crime novel. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's awesome. Anything I can do. Um, I have had people, you know, reach out to me, authors to run certain passages past me for sort of verisimilitude, which has been fun. But, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a fun gang to, to get up with. And anything I can do to help, uh, I'm all in because they've helped me. Now, verisimilitude's a ding word. Uh, <laughs> oh, what nicely, is it? Does that mean I, I said something smart? Yes, exactly. That's Did it come exactly. off as too smart? I don't want no, to No, I thought, no, I no, think I wanna... you're a writer <laughs> and you have command of the English language and that is impressive, sir. And, and it had the, it was the right word. Like sometimes when <laughs> somebody reaches too much, you go, uh, dude, you didn't have to say that, but you needed that word for what you, the point you were making. Well, I don't um, want your audience to think I'm a fancy pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. The audience loves you. There's the cover of your book, The Ascent. Now, when you're trying to find as a writer and creator, when, and here you go, uh, Angel in the Bay Area is saying this. I just want you to see this, then I'll give you my question. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Looking forward to the book, and thank you for your service in these times especially. Mm -hmm. That's kind of very nice, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, um, The question I had was, when you're writing and creating, you have to come up with this taut, uh, problem for your lead character to be involved in trying to uh, solve or a wrong trying to in this case a wrong trying to write it uh where does that come from do you uh, you know do you have a do you jot this stuff down every day as you say there's a underpinning everything in your books there's this truth right and this is your first novel but i'm just saying you know the other no- the other books were about uh, what, what happens on the beat but speak to me about how you come up with that germ of the idea does it come from a a list of five ideas you have and then you settle on one or what is the process you know i i guess i've always been you know the the ascent is set in a state prison where there's a massive security breakdown and everything goes awry and i've always been fascinated by stories where sort of a group of people have to band together and go from point a point a to point b over sort of treacherous ground um but in terms of trying to write kind of a streamlined narrative that keeps the reader engaged. Um, I just tried to kind of leave out all the stuff that tends to bore me a little when I'm reading a book, you know, sort of long uh, exchanges between characters or a whole page describing, uh, you know, the the, the na- natural backdrop of some place or weather. I just kind of cut that out. And then I have a, you know, a smart agent and a smart editor who uh, went to work on making it better. I mean, it's my book, but nobody does this stuff alone. I've had a lot of help. God, you're so humble. It's incredible. Uh, uh, it's easy I, to be humble. You should ask my wife. She would, uh... <laughs> uh, let me ask you a, a question about police work while I've got you here. Just uh, There's this 
and it might be just a trope that I see in other uh, books or even movies and television series you know the cop who can't leave the job you know he you know he brings it home with him and you know the, right. the um and i can see where you've seen a lot you do see a lot you're called upon to sort of be society's janitor cleaning up all the problems and how it might literally be hard to leave all that stuff behind you know you know uh, to all of a sudden go honey yeah you know i leave it all behind how much of that world where I can't, the cop who can't leave it behind is real. You know, I think some of that is real. And <clears throat> I would say probably folks that are in investigations uh, that applies to maybe more because, you know, they have a, a desk full of cases that they have to work on when they get back to the office. And I think it's hard to sort of turn that off, um, especially homicide investigators. I mean, they live and breathe that stuff. Uh, but I think there's a certain art or skill to being able to separate your um, your home life and your and your work life. I mean, you got to have some separation there. Otherwise, uh, it's, you know, it's unhealthy. I mean, I think it's healthy to have friends who are outside the police world, um, other hobbies. You know, I I play pickleball, which is maybe the opposite <laughs> of inner city police work. <laughs> So everyone does something different. <laughs> That's great. That's great. The the pickleball courts have been the uh, scene of a couple of uh, dust ups that could have gotten ugly. I think. Well, there's some intense. Uh, yeah, there's some intense rivalry between the uh, the tennis crew and the pickleball gang. Sometimes they, uh, you know, they have at it. It's it's true. The tennis zealots view pickleball as some sort of uh, bizarre genetic perversion of the purity of tennis see now and, that little bell should have gone off when you said bizarre genetic perversion that was you're right thank you please thank you there all, you right, all right <laughs> <laughs> sorry i don't even work for this show i don't know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah now you're but you're getting hip to the ding words i like it all right. but but it's true that the uh that that pickleball world is informed by that so you're taking this great ride with the ascent i don't know if you've been able to see the but maybe you go back or your agent will go back and see all the people who are saying they're planning on buying the book, getting the book. Seems like a lot of uh, fun. Well, your next book, John is asking, uh, have a murder on the pickleball court. <laughs> Ooh, there's, a, there's a thread to pull on. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, yeah. I might suggest passing over that thread. Pickleball but. murder. There's a, there's some rich material there. I think. Um, yeah. Uh, zealots is a ding word, says Tom. All right. Yeah, uh, we have one listener viewer who is sort of the keeper of the ding words who yeah, registers that. Um, so listen, Adam, congratulations. This is just, I mean, it's, as I say, it's a book that's being lauded, lauded as a ding word, that uh, really, it seems, has gotten a lot of great attention. And congratulations on your first novel. And it sounds to me like you're, you know, you're going to be one of those guys who, writes more and is praised even more. I really thank you for spending some time with us today. Well, thank you so much uh, to both of you for having me on. This was great. The Ascent. Adam Plantenga, see you, buddy. Thank you. Come thank you. visit again. The Mark Thompson Show. He's a, what, a, what a humble guy. I know. Man. Jeez. Yeah. He's, he's a really like accomplished guy, and he's super humble. He's the cute cop that you don't want to come on your worst day and see you at your absolute worst because then you feel all <laughs> self-conscious where you're like, oh, my God, why do they have to send the cute one? Oh, 
Yeah, he's a he's he's a good looking dude. No question about it. Yeah. And the book looks amazing. And he's yeah. smart. Listen to all those ding words. I'm totally getting the book. Me, me too. Yeah. I, I, you know, uh, sometimes they'll send the book. I don't think they they sent it in this case, but I I am going to go get it myself. So he sold uh, three copies right here on the show. Right. Maybe Albert will get one. That would be the third. I'm kind um, of in- interested in the other book he wrote too. Four hundred things cops know. I want to yeah. know what cops know. I'd get that one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look at you. You and Adam Plantinga books are going to have a lot of time together. It's possible. Very. Exciting. He was pretty hip to the ding words too. I yeah. kind of like that, Albert. Yeah, you know Kim, I mean? you might be starting to root for the Lions because he's a big. Michigan oh, that's sports. right, Kim. How are you? Right. Well, I married a guy from Michigan, so there's already Michigan sports. Oh, Albert, thank you. Yeah, and all that in my house. Yeah, yeah. Albert is stirring the pot. Yeah, he is. I love that. <laughs> uh, all right, Kim's news. We come back with a stories from the sky that includes Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it includes snakes on a plane. Oh, I know. I oh know. My you don't think it... Jackson. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Smash the like button like a boss. Smash Do it for your country. Your Do it for your city. It Do it for your, your family. Rod. Give us a thumbs up. Uh, Kim's News and then Stars in the Sky. Mark Thompson. Show. The Mark Thompson Show. On the Mark Thompson Show, I'm Kim McAllister. This report sponsored by CoachellaValleyCoffee.com. All right, let's talk about Janet Yellen now calling on Congress to quickly pass legislation to keep the government funded. The Treasury Secretary said at the U.S. Conference of Mayors winter meeting today that not doing so by Friday's deadline will harm American families and small businesses across the country. The Senate is considering a stopgap measure that would extend funding uh, for four of the 12 bills through March 1st. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said earlier this week he is confident they can get it done by Thursday. The aide who called 911 for Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on New Year's Day apparently asked the ambulance to be discreet because of a request from Austin's team to be subtle. The Pentagon has been criticized in light of Austin's secrecy over his condition and hospitalizations. In a recording of the 911 call obtained by CNN, the aide says, we're trying to remain a little subtle here. Attorneys for Brian Koberger want the judge to unseal their arguments, asking him to dismiss the charges. Koberger is accused of fatally stabbing four University of Idaho students in 2022. Later this month, the judge will hear arguments on his decision against dropping the charges. The protesters who shut down the Bay Bridge in November calling for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war are asking the San Francisco district attorney to drop the charges against them. Uh, One of the protesters uh, who called themselves the Bay Bridge 78 said the whole point of this thing was to stop traffic. They are facing five charges, including false imprisonment, refusing to comply with an officer and refusing to disperse. They say the charges are egregious, especially the false imprisonment charge. They face six months to a year in prison. The protesters who plan to rally outside the DA's office today say they are being held to a different standard than other protesters around the country, and they are due in court next month. 
Airbnb creating a panel to help address the affordable housing crisis. The company announcing Wednesday the formation of the Housing Council, which is made up of housing experts and chaired by the former mayor of Baltimore, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake. The council will advise Airbnb on how the company can support initiatives that will work to increase America's housing supply and drive down prices. It has been a week since the opening of OpenAI's GPT store, and already users are breaking the rules and creating companions. A search for girlfriend on the new GPT store will populate the site's results bar with at least eight girlfriend AI chatbots. What? The company, I know, it's weird. The company bans apps downloaded uh, dedicated to fostering romantic relationship. In the U.S., seven of the 30 AI chatbot apps downloaded last year from the Apple or Google store were related to AI friends, girlfriends, or companions. That according to data.ai. A lot of lonely people out there. It's true and kind of sad. The proliferation of these apps come as the United States faces an epidemic of loneliness and isolation with the Surgeon General calling for the need to strengthen social connections and AI chatbots could be a part of the solution. Proliferation is a dang word. Watch the Mark Thompson show. Hang out with our community. Talk to real people. You don't need an AI person. Well, the way they want to talk, I don't think we can, you would, you would bounce them from the chat. I think, isn't that right, Albert? I I think Kim would, uh, maybe they need to talk to John Rothman. Kind of be heavy. (laughs) Kim, how are you? Getting it, getting it on. Yeah. Um, At the Mark Thompson show sports desk, the Golden State Warriors assistant coach, Dehan Milosevic, uh, Milosevic. Oh yeah. They, they, what happened? He's in the hospital or something, right? he's dead at the age of 46 yeah earlier today the team said he'd been hospitalized in salt lake city right that's what i saw suffering a medical emergency during a private team dinner serbian media reported milojevic had suffered a heart attack he joined the warriors in 2021 after a 15 years of playing and coaching career in serbia the nba has postponed tonight's scheduled game between the warriors and the utah jazz because of this Oh. Wow, that is brutal. What a young guy. Oh, I don't know yeah, what the hell. years old. Jeez. Man. Meanwhile, Philadelphia Eagles star Jason Kelsey is not officially retired yet. On his New Heights podcast with his brother Travis Kelsey, Jason said, when the time comes to announce what's happening in the future, it will be done in a way that is definitive. Following the Eagles' playoff loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, reports said that Jason told his teammates that his playing days were over. Now, this report sponsored by uh, Wait a minute. One, hang on a second. Before you talk about Coachella Valley Coffee, and I'm a yeah. big fan. Yeah. Albert, did you tweet today or not? I did tweet, yep. You did. Did you mention my name in the tweet so I could retweet it or not? I did, yes. I uh, At Mark T. Live, everyone on, on Twitter. All right. Then I will go back and find it because I uh, am now late in... Um, uh, retweeting and retweeting. We needed Very to interrupt simple. the newscast to talk about tweets. You're right. That was, uh, it was wrong. It was stupid. <laughs> where is the, where is the tube and stuff? Albert? I mean, here I am getting ready to it talk. It was wrong. It was about... stupid. And I'm trying to be a better person. It really was. I stand corrected. Actually. I stand corrected. I'm sorry. My, My bad. bad. I'm My sorry. Bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're all, now we're all hitting everything we've got. This report sponsored by Coachella Valley coffee.com. It's a huge selection they have of coffees and amazing teas. 
what a treat. CoachellaValleyCoffee.com. Get your exclusive 10% discount just for being a Mark Thompson Show listener. You can put in Mark T all together at checkout and truly enjoy the good stuff. This is really nice coffee and tea. So Yeah, they've got tasting notes on everything there. Uh, we've talked before about the reason their stuff is so good. It's that first fresh grow. So you're not getting stuff that's been around for a couple of months. They discount it, and then they slap it on some website. That's not CoachellaValleyCoffee.com, high-end stuff. And they really take care of your customers. I'll tell you, and again, use the, but you really use the discount code. Get the 10% off. Mm -hmm. Mark T is the discount code. Can I tell you one quick story about Coachella Valley? It just happened yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Because I saw it in the chat. Uh, In the after-hours commenting, somebody said, I ordered Coachella Valley coffee, and they sent me of my order and then i got another order of it and i called them and i said i think you know i think you made a mistake and they said just keep it don't worry about it that's cool it was was like a double order so once in a while stuff happens they really do take care of -hmm. of their customers so i hope people are happy and we're so happy that they're sponsors so and sometimes they send you little extras like the first time we ordered we got a little shopping bag like a reusable shopping bag which is nice they've got merch there yeah the second time I got when I ordered teas for my my mom and, and sister stocking over the holidays, uh, they sent me really cool little tea bags that you can put because it's all loose leaf tea. So they have, yeah, they have good stuff and nice. They're nice and we like them in CoachellaValleyCoffee.com. Mark T at checkout. I'm Kim mm-hmm. McAllister. This is The Mark Thompson Show. <laughs> They had to close down an entire radio station to silence him. And now, he's here. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Thompson. The Mark Thompson Show. Who's Mark Thompson? Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy. There's a reason that this place is fun. I'm not gonna cry! I'm not gonna cry! Y'all can all go to hell and I'm going back to Texas. My bad. I'm sorry. And I wanted to apologize to the Asian community, the Asian American community. We've never seen anything like it before. Have you ever seen anything like this? There is nothing in our history that quite compares to this. Nobody has ever put something like this together that I've ever seen. There's never been anything like this. Why are you yelling? Good day, sir! Seriously, what the? Yeah, what up, everybody? We are coming into the home stretch. It is Wednesday. Thank you for being with us. However, you take in our show, appreciate the support. We're a crowdfunded show. Started as a radio show. We moved it to YouTube, and we're in. I think we just passed nineteen thousand subscribers. We're excited about that. I mean, it's a small show. We're the little engine that could. We just stay at it, and we've grown the show beyond. Uh, what we started with in in such um, 
uh, short time. So we're really, really grateful for your support. And look at this. Rod Jameson for a quick 20. Come on. First of all, big shout out. Big shout out. Yes, thank you. Um, thank you, Mark, Kim, and Albert. Come on, 20,000 listeners. That's right. Come on, 20,000. Rod gives us a 20. Thank big you. Big shout out. Yes, big shout out. The Super Stickers and Super Chats are live. Some of you will leave us a contribution in the Super Sticker area, like on that little heart that's got a dollar sign after the show's off because you watch it in replay. Most people watch the show in replay or watch the videos as they're dropped. Kelly Malloy. What's up, Kelly? Big shout out. Big shout out to Kelly Malloy. And all of you. Spencer Jaffe. Spencer. Big shout out. Big shout out. Thank you for the five spot. And Steve Grenelick. Is it? No. Green, I, I green, elk. Gr green Elk. Green yeah. Elk. Steven Green Elk. Come on. Big shout out. Big shout out. Thank you, guys. Thank you very, very yeah. much. Or as I like to say, thank you so, so much. Thank you so, so much. It just all sounds better. Thank you so, so much. Mm -hmm. Wow. Got my wife Coachella coffee and tea for our anniversary. She loves it. I love hearing that. Yeah. Chris, who is a, a new... Well, he's a new Patreon supporter. I recognize the name. So, you know, it's a pretty small community when you think about it. Just a few hundred people, several hundred people who support this show. I always tell Kim, I don't always tell her all the time, but I go, you know, we're so dependent on this wonderful community for support. And that's why I'm, I begin, you feel like you begin to know people as a result of that, because now we've been underway here for a little over a year. There is a meet and greet coming up. The tales for that are really dependent on a couple of things related to people's ability to make it. And so, it's, you know, yeah. So like Albert, who is very busy as the commissioner, as you might know, and uh, Kim, who's, you know, got a family to raise. Six shows I think she's on, six or seven Yeah, shows. she's also, she also, she does a ton of different shows. She's always birthing a new show. And uh, anyway, we'll get it all squared away and then you'll have a chance to, uh, and the next meet and greet will be a game night. So I'm looking forward to that. So it won't just be a meet and greet. All right, I promised you and now I will deliver the promise. The Mark Thompson Show. This is Stories from the Sky. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! Everybody strap in! Can't do anything about aviation without talking about Boeing. They lose $30 billion in market valuation. Since that Alaska Airlines midair blowout, this new report warns the FAA will open up a whole new can of worms in their investigation. Wells Fargo yesterday downgraded Boeing stock after that FAA announcement. They have seen market capitalization decline by nearly $30 billion to $123.74 billion since the incident on January 5th. And... The FAA is planning to review Boeing's inspections of the 737 MAX 9 planes before allowing them to fly again. There's a shot of that huge hole that was ripped in the side of the Boeing fuselage. Essentially, that was a door there, right? They call it a plug, but it was a door. Given Boeing's recent track record and greater incentive for the FAA to find problems, we think the odds of a clean audit are low, said a market analyst. 
The FAA's audit is limited to Max 9 for now, but it's feasible that findings could expand the scope to other Max models sharing common parts. The FAA said today that inspections of an initial group of 40 Boeing 737 MAX 9 airplanes have been completed, and that's a key hurdle to eventually ungrounding these planes. The production processes have been under scrutiny as well. You'll remember, we've talked about this on this show. Uh, before this incident, we talked about this. The fact that the Boeing factories had quality control problems. They they farmed it out. And David K. Johnson said, well, you know, it's not unusual for them to farm it out for these big companies like Boeing to farm it out. Yeah, but they farmed it out to a company that has had production line problems and quality control issues. In any case, shares of Boeing closed at 252 cents at the end of trading yesterday, down nearly 20% from their January 5th closing price. So tough times for Boeing and, you know, Deservedly so. They need to own this. And they need to clean up their act. I mean, their their lives at stake here. Arnold Schwarzenegger detained by a German's customs officer. What is that? Pop? What I know. Wait right over here, sir. You're going nowhere. Good day, sir. The actor and former U.S. politician, U.S. Uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, detained by German customs officers at Munich Airport. The reason? He failed to declare a valuable luxury watch. Criminal tax proceedings have been initiated against Schwarzenegger. Oh, no. There's never been anything like this. <laughs> the, the German newspaper Bild first reported Schwarzenegger's detention. According to the customs authorities, Schwarzenegger had not declared a valuable luxury watch upon arrival in Munich although he apparently planned to leave it in the European Union. If the goods remain in the EU, you have to pay tax and duty on them, according to the customs person. That applies to everyone, even Arnold Schwarzenegger. The spokesperson was initially unable to say how long Schwarzenegger had to wait with the officials there at the airport. That takes a bit of time, they said. My bad. But, I'm sorry. And the spokesman said he believed that the Austrian-born U.S. actor and former Republican politician would soon be able to continue his journey. The value of that watch. How much is the watch worth that Schwarzenegger was detained on? What is the value of the Schwarzenegger watch that has created this international incident? Detained at Munich Airport, the 76-year-old former governor, 20,000, says Russ, 100,000, says Champagne, 50,000, says Phineas, 90,000, says Pauline, oh, yeah. uh, 15,000, says Queen, Trevor Starr in Hollywood, says 11,708. <laughs> 30,000 says square. The actual retail price is 20,000 euro, everyone. What is that in um, the money that I use, Albert? 20,000 euro. Can you check on that? Is that, I want to say that's about $22,000, something like that. 
I got a around twenty twenty one thousand seven about twenty two. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I'll take my uh, prize off the air. Uh, yeah. So those of you who guessed twenty, you're uh, around uh, around correct. I wonder how it felt to detain Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, here's a guy who could even in uh, what is he seventy years old who could totally kick your ass, and you're like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They stand over Screw here and your wait. freedom. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Screw your freedom. Screw your freedom. Right. Okay. I don't know. He could kick your. I mean, I don't know. He doesn't want to kick any ass. No, I think no. more to the point, it, it's probably awkward, but I would think that would be the. Um, a Rolex Oyster watch was appraised for up to $500,000 on Antique Roadshow the other oh, night. Oh, how about wow. that, William? With a. Uh, huh. Uh, well, this was $22,000. A snake on a plane. No. This is wild. What? Footage. Capturing the moment a snake emerges above an overhead bin mid-flight in front of passengers. Who does that? I mean, it didn't slither on by itself. No, it was brought on board, as are a lot of exotic animals and creatures, and smuggled on board, probably. It was on a flight from Bangkok to the island of Phuket. The snake emerged from an overhead compartment in front of a shocked group below. Albert is a efforting the pictures that he will share with you. Yeah, unfortunately, it's on the Daily Mail, and there's just a, a million ads, and I'm just trying to click on the picture. That's okay. I will continue to describe it, and when you can get it, you yeah. can get it. Imagine if you reached up there to grab your bag, and then... Oh, my God, it would be... Yeah. That's, uh, passengers directly below the snake recoiled in horror, they say, and leaped from their seats to stand on the aisle, fearing a repeat of the horror movie Snakes on a Plane. Mm-hmm. A brave member of the cabin crew reached up to the snake and used an empty plastic bottle to push it into a plastic bag. You can see it being that it's up here now on YouTube if you're looking. Still unsure of whether the snake was venomous and potentially deadly, it was then fastened securely and stored in a cupboard. One of the stunned passengers, a British holiday maker from UK, I guess that's a holiday maker, is <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Does that mean someone on holiday, or does that mean a travel agent? Anyone? Where's my um? A person on vacation, away from home, a vacation. Thank is a holiday maker. The yeah. British, they have that weird way of speaking, you know. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, we might have to ask your favorite British for uh, my British Anthony yeah. Davis. Anthony Davis. Precisely, what is a British holiday maker from the UK? I was pretty I was pretty relieved when they took it away. The flight attendant was calm, professional, but I was twitching every time I felt something, thinking there might be another one on the plane. Yeah, you don't know that that's the only one. This is from one of the stunned passengers. Did they, did they say what kind of snake it was? Was it venomous? Uh, not indicated here. Mm. The holiday maker, uh, Albert, you could. There's another shot of uh, all the passengers standing there in the aisle. Maybe if you go down a little further in the in the piece, you can see it and maybe share it with everybody. I've watched the movie, but I never thought it would happen to me in real life. <laughs> there, you can see uh, Albert had it. That's the, everybody looking down oh. at this entire thing. Um, it happened while the plane was beginning its descent for landing. By the way, so you know already you can't leave your seats per se. And the ground staff. Somebody might have thought earlier in, in the flight, like, "Oh, is that a snake?" Uh, also, right. I don't want to freak everyone out, so I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. 
by the way, I do have the make of the snake. The, I mean, the the, okay. the make the make and model. The <laughs> number. It's twenty twenty two serpent. <laughs> it's called a Blanford bridal snake. Oh, it's a species of harmless colubrid snake. It's endemic to Asia, huh. non venomous and. They avoid attacking humans. They're generally quite frightened. So, of course, we like F with them and take them maker. on a flight. Yeah. 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 Gosh, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, but, I mean, that is uh, life imitating art. And that is Stories from the Sky. This has been Stories from the Sky. The captain has turned off the seatbelt sign, and you are now free to move about the cabin. Yeah, pretty wild. Uh, what is it called when you have the animal that's a, is it a comfort animal or a... Um, service animal? Service comfort, animal. Comfort, so could that be, could your snake yeah. be your service creature? No, Maybe. I don't think no? so. No, just a thought. That's I mean, against they're... the processes, protocols, and standards. I see, okay. Yeah. All right. The Mark Thompson Show. Meanwhile, let's check in on the Richie Richie Rich for a moment. Alec Baldwin... I don't know if we need to do a That's Rich over this, but uh, I'll just give you the story. Alec Baldwin put his 10,000-square-foot Hamptons estate, which sits on 10 acres, he's now putting it back on the market for $19 million. Does he have, like, eight kids? He has, I believe, nine kids. Yeah. And as a result, what? yeah, you need to, uh, he's got the resources to, you know, perhaps support them. But this is a video that we're showing now. Since 1982, uh, when I was younger, we'd come out here and we'd sleep all morning and lay on the beach all day. Uh, when you're young, this place is the best. My first house was here on Bluff Road in Amagansett, uh, a house I rented. Uh, for five years, and then after that, I decided to uh, buy my own place. I bought my first house here on Old Montauk Highway, uh, around the corner from Atlantic Avenue Beach. I had this little cottage over here for about seven or eight years, and then I decided that I wanted something bigger, so I bought my house over on Town Lane. I bought this house back in 1995. Uh, I put this addition on on the eastern side of the property in 1996. And my wife, Ilaria, and I built this addition on the western side of the property in 2000. Because of all those kids, that's why. 10, yeah, you need a lot of additions. I yeah. fell in love that's with a... this place the moment I came here because it's, uh, this is the main family It's home. beautiful. Alec, yeah, uh, I have no. one note. Uh, maybe let's lose the music from now on, okay? The music, we don't need it. Um, but he put his uh, Hamptons estate, which you've just seen featured there by Alec Baldwin. And, and this is interesting that Baldwin felt... To me, the interesting part of the story, in addition to just kind of knowing that he's selling his house and how much it's right. worth and all that stuff, is that he felt the need to do a video. You know, it's kind of a video. It's a marketing video. It's used by the real estate company and it gets it out there. So it's just interesting he felt the need. Now, one of the reasons he might feel the need is that he couldn't get the asking price for that 10,000-square-foot Hamptons estate. Mm. It was on the market for 29 million now it's on the market for 19 million 10 million less that's a big okay. cut yeah so again it's in amagansett new york and he's hoping to 
sell this place that he bought in 1996, as you saw in the video. It has a pool, a spa, covered porches, seven bedrooms. We haven't done this in a while. How many bathrooms in the Alec Baldwin estate? I mentioned seven bedrooms. How many bathrooms in the place? I'm going to say 10. I think it's going to be a common thing. I'm just going to double the bathrooms to bedroom ratio. So 14. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see how accurate. You think he has 14 bathrooms, seven seven bedrooms and 14 bathrooms? Is that what you're telling me? Maybe 13 and a half. Let me me round down. (laughs) (laughs) You think there's a half bath and a powder room in there too? Powder room, yeah. Uh, let's look in the chat. Nine bathrooms says Doug. Fifteen says Pauline. Eleven says Beth. Ron says eleven. Ten says Champagne. Nine says Lulu Lancaster. How about Lulu Lancaster? Correct. And nine. Oh, nine. Yeah. Seven bedrooms, nine baths. It's on five acres plus five acres of agricultural reserve. And, uh... He rented it for five years before he decided to buy a house uh, there and bought a cottage, he said, for seven or eight years. You heard him in the video talking about his his relationship with that area. And he's got a place in Manhattan. Uh, Albert, if you'll continue on that Daily Mail piece, I do want to show everyone. You know, he has a place in New York City, a penthouse. So, I mean, don't worry about Alec Baldwin. It's not like he's, <laughs> as I told you, he's got a lot of money. Um, he purchased his New York City penthouse for $11.7 million in 2011. Still owns it. It's probably worth north of $20 million now. But I wanted to show a picture to everyone of the Baldwins and their children. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they picked up two since this picture, I think. Um, I need. Can you check out uh, exactly how many kids they have? Maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was nine. But maybe it's this. So this is Alaria and Alec with their kids. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they have eight, and plus he has Ireland from a previous marriage. Oh, right? I see. That's why. Because Courtney told me he had nine. So that's yeah. why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, mm-hmm. well done. That's uh uh, listen, congratulations to the Baldwins. Uh, seems like a lot of love in the house, and it's a lot of house in the love. So very, very well done. Yeah. It's going to be a new wave like in 20 years that we don't know which Baldwin brother it is. <laughs> the, all the Baldwin brothers were already feeling like underachievers, and so Alec really spiked the football with the number of kids he has. So. The Mark Thompson Show. Um, of course, you know, uh, it's not as though everything's been great for Alec Baldwin. I mean, he, I, I'm talking about this. You only have to go at the set of Rust to know what I'm talking about, right? Mm. So um, anyway, that's the latest on what's happening with Alec Baldwin. Uh, tomorrow, we bring in David Katz. And tomorrow, we'll talk in detail about something that I touched on at the beginning of today's show. Maybe we'll break it out as a separate video, Albert. And that's what's happening at the Supreme Court. That the undermining of regulatory aspects of the federal government and regulatory aspects of government generally. Essentially, they're saying even at the state level, you you know, you're going to end up in court on a lot of these things. So we'll get that going tomorrow with David Katz. And I also wanted to handle a an email or two 
I may have to do that tomorrow as well. I don't know. Kim, do you have anything before I say good night and goodbye mm-hmm. and good day? I'm uh, I'm just watching this whole you know Trump court thing where the mm. judge almost kicked him out. And you know what he said in response to the judge? When the judge F, said- F you. <laughs> almost. He said, uh, the judge said, you know, I'm, I may have to kick you out of this courtroom. And Trump said, I would love it. Yeah. Well, he would use yeah. it as his, uh, right. It's a, it's bragging rights. That's the thing, you know. There's another story on the front page of, uh, well, the top of the CNN website and I did not know this. Maybe you guys knew this, but I'm just learning this today. That Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch, his mother was the head of the EPA in the early 80s. Yeah, well, of course. And she resigned the position, right? Right. And so they're thinking that now he may hold a grudge against the EPA or something. And I hadn't realized that was an issue. I believe her name was Anne, Anne Gorsuch. You have to look, though. But she left yeah. in a cloud of controversy and potential corruption so uh, i'm sure he's got an axe to grind he's incredibly corporate polluter friendly and one of the things about ann gorsuch's reign at epa was that she aided and abetted corporate polluters she also was trying to unwind the agency from the inside you know how trump Mm -hmm. uh, got all of those uh, fossil fuel there she is you got those, uh, she looks like Suzanne Plachette, that actress who was in the uh, New Heart show. Um, the, the deal with uh, the Trump administration was he put those who were lobbyists for the coal industry in charge of the EPA, in charge of the Interior Department. It was, it was crazy what he was doing. And they were undoing the agency from the inside. Same thing happened and is happening at the United States Postal Service. Um, but... Gorsuch was kind of an early adopter on that back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And that was Ann Gorsuch's thing, too. She was kind of unwinding the EPA from the inside, even as she headed it. So, wow. um, yeah, interesting. And the only but, other story I haven't talked about today was, and this is kind of a bit of royal news. Did you see that the Princess of Wales, Kate Middleton, is in the hospital for about two weeks recovering from an abdominal surgery? They, no. They're not saying exactly what, only that it was non-cancerous and that she will be out of commission, not able to you know, handle her royal duties until Easter. She'll be out. Wow. Yeah. So she's undergoing some type of abdominal surgery. And so then the palace, the Buckingham Palace comes out to say, also, um, the king, King Charles is also going to have a medical procedure as well. He's going into the hospital next week for treatment of an enlarged prostate. Wow, yes. dueling medical procedures. That's right. Mm. A lot going on at Buckingham. I guess. Good royal news. Mm. Between that and the uh, snakes on the plane affecting that British uh, holiday maker, <laughs> we had a we've got quite the quite the show runs through Britain. Good stuff, Kim. The Mark Thompson show. You know, I think we've done a lot today, but we want to get way into this legal mess tomorrow. David Katz will be here, and we'll talk about the E. Jean Carroll defamation case and those penalties. I don't want to leave without giving a big shout-out Big shout out to Tom Malloy, who's one of the folks who gave us a super sticker today thank you everybody who's found us on patreon and paypal and supports this show really a lot of fun you can click 
Patreon or PayPal links when you go to themarkthompsonshow.com. I want to thank John Rothman for coming through today and mostly SFPD Sergeant Adam Plantinga, the author of the new book, The Ascent. It seems like a hell of a great thriller. So we've had a lot of fun today and looking forward to tomorrow. I'm Shadow Stevens for The Mark Thompson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, Albert. Albert, thank, thank you. you Kim. Kim, how are you? And after party live now. Until tomorrow. Bye-bye.